0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement with your host, Randy Sutton, 34 year police veteran, the founder of The Wounded Blue, which is the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled officers, author of A Cop's Life and the soon to be released new book, Rescuing 911 The Fight for America's Safety. And I want to thank you for uh, joining me here today. Uh, I have a great co host waiting for me in the interview room. Let's bring him on right now. Craig Floyd. Let me tell you a little bit about Craig Floyd. Uh, He is the founder of uh, uh, an amazing organization called Citizens Behind the Badge. Uh, 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 It's a um, a 501c3 charity that uh, supports law enforcement, but this isn't his first rodeo. He spent decades um, working as the uh, uh, chairman of one of the most important uh, law enforcement charities in the country, the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. And I uh, welcome, welcome him to the show. Craig, thanks so much for joining me today on The Voice for American Law Enforcement.
1: Love to be with you once again, Randy. We've spent a lot of time together over the years. Uh, you've been a great friend and supporter, and I'm proud to be on the show today.
0: Oh, I, I appreciate it, man. And, and yes, you're right. We uh, There's a lot of water under that bridge, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but so let's, I don't know if... You
1: you probably have not told your your uh, viewers that uh, you you have uh, another occupation that sometimes you uh, involve yourself and that's uh, a wonderful singing uh, career. Uh, <laughs> and you were so one of my favorite memories is having Randy Sutton do the national anthem at one of our candlelight vigils at the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial. You, you banged it out beautifully, and uh, once again you, you got many talents, and that's a hidden one. <laughs> I, don't think that you know about.
0: I think you're probably right, and you know what I got to tell you. In my law enforcement career, that was one of my proudest moments, Craig, quite honestly. I'll never forget the feeling of being up on that stage, looking at the, uh, the families of, uh, of the officers who were killed in the line of duty at that uh, what, I, what I call hallowed event. And uh, it truly was one of the greatest, um, the greatest uh, honors I've ever been given. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really an amazing moment. Th- thanks for reminding me. I actually think about it quite often, quite honestly. So let's talk about um, your new organization, what it is doing. um, But you know what? If you would, though, I I want the audience to get to know you just a little bit. If you would, just give a little bit about your background.
1: You know, right out of college, I went to George Washington University here in Washington, D.C., and I I had the privilege, really, of being hooked up with um, an amazing gentleman. Uh, His name was Mario Biagi. He was a legendary New York City police officer, the most decorated cop in New York City history when he retired in 1965. And then he went on to serve 20 years in the United States Congress. I was privileged uh, to join him for 10 of those years, the last 10, as his legislative assistant. And that really got me on the path that I spent the rest of my professional uh, career working on, and that is uh, a champion of law enforcement. Congressman Biaggi basically championed so many Uh, pieces of legislation and policies uh, involving law enforcement. Um, If there was a concern law enforcement had legislatively, they would come to our office and ask for help. And one of those requests was to uh, build a national law enforcement officers memorial. Uh, And I remember the day a group of officers came into our office. uh, It had been dormant, uh, the idea, for several years, uh, but they asked him to uh, reintroduce that legislation and in 1984, it became public law. We uh, established a National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial. It took us seven years after the law was enacted to actually dedicate the memorial. We had to raise over $11 million to build it. We had to pick a site that was appropriate uh, for such a national monument, a place called Judiciary Square, federal land that was donated to us by Congress. Um, and uh, it's become the special place, the uh, sacred ground for law enforcement in America. Uh, It's a three acre park. Uh, It has the names of um, now more than 22,000 officers who have made the ultimate sacrifice. Um, And sadly, uh, Randy, you know this, uh, it was less than half filled when we first built it. Uh, And we thought it would be at least 100 years before we ever had to worry about expanding the memorial walls. We hope that day would never come. But in fact, uh, because we've had to add so many names uh, over the last 30 years, uh, the uh, effort uh, was completed last year to expand the memorial walls, make more room for more names. Uh, and tragically uh, this year, there were uh, several hundred that had to be added to the national memorial.
0: Yeah, it's. Um, uh, I was actually there for police week this year, uh, once again, and in my capacity as the founder of the Wounded Blue this time, not as a serving, uh, law enforcement officer, but you know it's still um, that that ground is uh, is sacred to law enforcement officers all over the country. If you if 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 you haven't visited this site, uh, I urge you to. It'll uh, it'll give you some amazing perspective and um, and uh, an emotional uh, an emotional journey um, as as you see the names uh, and this beautiful memorial. Um, so it cost $11 million back in the 80s. What do you think it would cost now?
1: Well, I, I, I dare say uh, it would probably be double in, in cost, if not more. Um, and, and I'll tell you something else, uh, and this segues nicely into the next stage of our evolution at the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. Not only did we become the leading um, agency involved in promoting law enforcement safety and wellness, but we, in 2018, the year that I retired, Uh, We built the National Law Enforcement Museum. It took us 20 years uh, to get that museum built, and that museum uh, right across the street from the National Memorial cost over $105 billion to build. Uh, It's a beautiful 60,000 square foot space, Uh, but that kind of gives you a sense of how much uh, more uh, expensive things are these days. Uh, We have a beautiful complex now. You've got a memorial to law enforcement on one side of the 400 block of e street northwest washington dc and on the other side of e street you have the national law enforcement museum which among other things it tells the full story of american law enforcement but uh just as importantly it tells the stories behind the 22,000 plus names that are on that memorial uh so that was very important to me that uh, too many people come to that memorial and they a lot of school kids for example they might you know, be from Cincinnati, and they'd be interested in looking up the Cincinnati officers who died in the line of duty, and we have directories that allow them to do that. But they don't know the stories behind those men and women. Uh, And now at the National Law Enforcement Museum, they can walk right across the street and go into the Hall of Remembrance, where they'll hear the stories behind these uh, law enforcement heroes who have sacrificed their lives for their community, for their nation. And we owe all of those men and women a huge debt of gratitude and they should never be forgotten. And now that their names are inscribed on the memorial walls, now that their story is told in the National Law Enforcement Museum, they will never be forgotten for generations to come.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing. I mean, you've dedicated your entire life to supporting law enforcement in uh, in, a, in a variety of ways, and, and the impact has been amazing. So um, and now that you, you have, as we talked about a little bit earlier, now that you've failed retirement, uh, you've, now, you've now entered a new, a new chapter in the creation of uh, Citizens Behind the Badge. Let's talk about that for a bit.
1: Well, at the end of 2018, uh, we had completed this 20-year journey to build the National Law Enforcement Museum, and that had always been my goal is to see that museum through uh, till the very end before I ever thought about retirement. Uh, And when that time came, I I had a few months uh, to enjoy the museum, uh, to get uh, the foundation laid, if you will, for our visitors that were about to come. And uh, I I stepped away uh, and felt pretty good that we had accomplished the missions that I had set out on uh, some 34 years prior. Uh, But then uh, May 25th, 2020 happened And uh, some people may not totally remember the date, but that is the date that George Floyd uh, died in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Um, and it was a tragedy uh, in so many respects. But certainly, it it uh, started a anti-cop protest in this country, the likes that we have never seen before, and hopefully we'll never see again. The hatred uh, toward law enforcement. There were more than ten thousand protests across this country against. Police. All of a sudden, as, as one officer recently said, uh, suddenly we were hated overnight. You know, all of a sudden they went from being our guardians, our protectors, the people that we respected and appreciated uh, to, to this uh, villain uh, that was hated by so many people across this country. And I must say, the media was very complicit in this. I think it was a, a minority of people in this country who actually spewed that hatred toward law enforcement. Uh, And they did it in a very destructive, uh, violent way in many cities across this country. But uh, the the fact of the matter is that the majority of Americans uh, support law enforcement. But the media portrayal, the way they amplified the voice of a few against law enforcement was very upsetting to me. Um, And I I was having a great time in retirement, playing a lot of golf, uh, enjoying my family. Uh, but, you know, when, when all, May 25th, 2020 happened, I said, you know what, uh, I can't sit on the sidelines any longer and allow these lies about law enforcement being brutal, racist, uh, targeting blacks, uh, targeting minorities across this country. I knew that the facts did not support that narrative. And yet I continued to see it on the news day in and day out. Uh, And so I decided to do something about it. I started a a 501c4 nonprofit advocacy organization in support of the men and women in law enforcement. And I called it, I think very appropriately, Citizens Behind the Badge. Uh, There are millions of citizens like myself who have never worn the badge, but have great respect and appreciation for our law enforcement professionals. Uh, And so I wanted to mobilize the silent majority who support law enforcement to stop this very destructive, this very dangerous defund the police movement and all the soft on crime policies that have resulted um, and and get legislators in place, get elected officials in office that were gonna be pro-law and order, pro-law enforcement. Uh, And that's one of our main agenda items. Uh, Another long-term goal, uh, we're we're just getting started really, Uh, we've only been in existence for less than two years, but I wanna raise money so that uh, school kids across this country can come to Washington and visit the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial and Museum. I think from that we're gonna—it's going to be an amazing recruiting tool for young people. They're going to see what law enforcement is all about. Truly, the facts, uh, the heroism, the way they help uh, and protect their communities—they they don't hurt anybody intentionally. Um, sometimes it's—it's it's a part of the job, unfortunately. But the bottom line is, we need to do so much more to improve recruitment. Uh, to uh, build up police morale by uh, we've sent thousands of declarations of support to local police departments across the country from citizens in their communities who support them and have sent back this declaration of support to our organization. So there's so many things we're doing right now, but mainly we're trying to counter all the negativity toward law enforcement with the truth, with the facts. Uh, And if you go to our website at behindbadge.org. Uh, you'll find all of these facts and heroic stories, and we honor the fallen officers. Uh, it's really been an amazing journey, and I've enjoyed every minute
0: of it. Well, you are you're you're like the Energizer Bunny, man. You just keep on going. <laughs> it's uh, so so. Uh, how how somebody does somebody have to
1: at the, these troubling times, Randy? As you know, I mean, you worn the badge. I mean, you you've been out there. I haven't, but I, I've met thousands of of people like yourself. I know what's in your heart. I know what you do when the cameras aren't on when nobody's watching. Uh, there's, there's a great story that I've often told uh, I used to host a radio show called copnet. And at the end of every show, I would interview uh, a survivor and ask them about their story of their loved one. And I asked this one woman, I said, you know, your husband died in the line of duty. Can you tell me something about the funeral for your husband? And, and she told me an amazing story. She said, uh, I don't remember much. It was a fog that day. Uh, But this one moment stuck out in my mind. She said, a homeless man walked up to me and introduced himself. He said, you don't know me, but I'm here to pay my respects to your husband. Because he said every night before he would go home to you and your children, uh, he would stop and check on me to make sure I was okay, to make sure I had a blanket in the winter and make sure I had some food in my stomach. Um, And and he would take care of me and, and he watched over me. Um, and the woman said, you know, what was amazing, Craig, is my husband never once told me about that homeless man. He just did it because it was who he was. He didn't bring it home with him. He didn't brag about it. But uh, this is what our men and women in law enforcement do day in and day out. And I want the rest of the nation to, to hear these stories and to know uh, how much we truly should be appreciative of, of the men and women who wear the blue.
0: You know, the the acts of kindness and compassion that are um, that are uh, evidenced daily in policing in America. Um, it's, it's literally uncountable. Uh, you know, in, in my, of course, in my 34 years, I, I saw amazing um, acts of kindness, small acts of kindness. You know, but it's, it's those little interactions like you just talked about that can create the difference in a person's life and also in the way that they view law enforcement. And unfortunately when there are negative incidents concerning law enforcement those uh uh become uh, in- incredibly amplified and you said it very accurately uh the media has been exceedingly complicit with pushing forth the narrative of institutional racist police officers and brutality and um and it, it's it is literally you know, d- created a divide in this country that is, that is felt in ways that you and I could never have even imagined. And you and I both, you know, went through uh, the, the era of, uh, of the Rodney King riots, which, you know, they, they were dwarfed by what we saw uh, in relation to George Floyd. Uh, so, you know, it's, it seems like we haven't learned any lessons along the way. And, you know, by the only way, the only way to change the perspective is to, is to tell the truth about, about the men and women of law enforcement and how to get that truth out there is, you know, the Memorial Fund, the, the museum, um, an organization like Citizens Behind the Badge, where, where you are, you're being a truth sayer. And, but uh, sometimes it's, you know, we we don't you know both your charity my charity the wounded blue uh, we're swimming upstream it seems like when it comes down to um, you know getting uh, getting our information out there even even to the point where you know letting people know we exist um, so this is a fight that we're that we are constantly in um, and sometimes it seems like a pretty lonely path. Um, but, uh, so if someone wants to participate in Citizens Behind the Badge, what does that look like?
1: Well, first of all, I'd encourage them to visit our website, Uh, again, BehindBadge.org. And you'll go there and you'll see it packed full of information in support of law enforcement. I have one section there that that I update every day, unfortunately. It's called Troubling Consequences of the Defund the Police Movement. Um, and, and it talks about the surge in crime rates across this country. I also have a section called, uh, you know, uh, crime and policing stats. Um, and there I try to really tell the truth. What, what do the facts tell us about law enforcement? Are they brutal racist? No, you go there and, and you'll find that of the 60 plus million contacts, interactions law enforcement has every year with the public, they use or even threaten the use of force less than 2% of the time. right, it hardly ever occurs. 73% of the officers recently surveyed say they've never fired their weapon in the line of duty. And they never will. Uh, And the Washington Post keeps track of uh, police shootings, right? Uh, People they've shot and killed. Um, And it turns out that twice the number of white people are killed every year by police than blacks. Uh, And yet you you don't hear a word about that. All you hear about is the unarmed blacks that are shot and killed by police. Uh, And that number you know, for instance, I think it was in 2019, 26 whites were shot and killed who were unarmed by police. um, And 16 blacks uh, were shot and killed by police. Um, You've heard all the names of those who are the unarmed blacks, but you hear nothing about the fact that uh, it's, it's part of the job that unfortunately, there are these life and death moments, they have a fraction of a second to make a life or death decision. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes they they have shot and killed unarmed people, but they're not targeting blacks. Uh, It's just the the nature of the job. It's a very dangerous job. More than 22,000 officers have been killed. Uh, Last year, there was a 115% increase in the number of ambush shooting attacks on law enforcement officers in this country. More than 300 officers were shot last year, Uh, many of them in these ambush style attacks, simply because of the uniform they wear. And the job that they do, uh, and th- these are the facts that we want to get out there to the to the public because they're not hearing any of that from the media.
0: No, you're ab- you're absolutely right, and this is this is part of of, of truth saying. Uh, but as I said before, you know, um, it's it seems like the the negativity um, is what gets all the attention. The positivity does not and so it's uh, we are swimming uphill but and it is a it is a long battle so how does some how does a, a citizen who who and and i am in 100 percent agreement with you that the vast majority of americans believe in and support their law enforcement and of course you know that's there have been studies that have shown that in you know, from the University of Washington. Uh, there, uh, I believe Harvard had a study. There, so every study has actually shown that the vast majority of Americans, including communities of color, actually do support and believe in their law enforcement uh, community. But yet, you won't see that on the media. That's, I mean, that's literally buried. Um, so, but, so the people that do support and, and citizens behind the badge is is representative of that? How would a citizen? Um, what does it look like as far as uh, you know? I'm John Q. Citizen. I want to support law enforcement, and uh, I know I can go to the Wounded Blue and help those folks. But I can also show my support through Citizens Behind the Badge. What is? How does that happen?
1: Well, if you if you go to our website again at behindbadge.org, there is a, a section on there uh, for donations like all nonprofits, like uh, Wounded Blue and all the others, uh, we basically do our work solely on the basis of uh, donations we receive from the American public. Um, so if you'd like to make a donation to support the work, if you like what you see on that website, uh, if you're concerned about uh, the defund the police movement and the soft on crime policies that have resulted, uh, we'd love for you to you know make a donation, uh, whatever you might be able to afford, Um, And we also have this program, uh, and it's a very important project, I would say, uh, to send declarations of support to law enforcement agencies across this country, to build them up, to let them know that there are millions of Americans. Our goal is to have 10 million declarations of support sent to law enforcement agencies across this country. So our law enforcement professionals will know how much the, the public truly cares and supports the work that they do. Um, So those would be important action steps. We also have surveys we're doing, a million surveys of Americans across this country about what they truly feel and believe about their local police, about crime in general, about some of these soft on crime uh, district attorneys. Is that happening in your community? We're asking them these questions so that we can target elected officials. We we wanna mobilize the electorate so that they elect pro-law and order candidates. And we're trying to identify who are the good guys and who are the anti-cop, uh, anti-law and order politicians that we need to unseat uh, because crime is just surging uh, like never seen before. Uh, we, we, all of these are action steps that Citizens Behind the Badge is taking. And if you go to our website, you can ask to be uh, kept in uh, communication with us. We'll send you notifications. If you scroll down on the home page, you send us your name and uh, email address and we can stay in touch with you. We can send you action steps to be taken. We can help you figure out how to go to your local politicians and make sure that they're the right people and the job for you. Um, And all of this is is part of Citizens Behind the Badge, our agenda, Uh, and uh, we would love your support, but we would also love to stay in touch with you and continue to uh, take action in the years to come.
0: You know, this is critical, critical stuff. Um, You know, by being informed, it, you you can help create an entirely different environment, and being informed is absolutely essential. You know, I think I think some of the um, apathy we have seen in elections across the country has put people into office who have uh, who have literally um, led led the anti law enforcement parade, uh, and I, I don't think it's because the voters really wanted that but you have you have such a low voter turnout in many of these elections and they are uninformed about the people who who are are you know uh, getting into office i mean I, this is a perfect segue to you know talk about um the uh you know the district attorneys that are that are literally uh, i call them i call them um uh trojan horse district attorneys who have been put into office literally given the keys to the kingdom and then actively worked to subvert the criminal justice system and this is the, this has been extremely damaging to uh, to law enforcement and also to the public safety but before we get into that Craig I, I, I want to there's a, I got to take a little commercial break here and talk about uh, officerprivacy.com uh officerprivacy.com is a, a, a business but it is a service that helps uh, law enforcement officers um, from being doxed. Uh, we all know that the the um, uh, liberal left, Antifa, and other groups have uh, basically made it their mission to uh, to t- try and harm law enforcement officers, both literally and figuratively. How do they do it? Sometimes uh, I had no idea. P. James, who who uh, began. This organization, OfficerPrivacy.com, demonstrated to me, showed me how easy it was to find your information on the Internet. I mean, personal information, where you live, uh, your, much about your history, what kind of cars you drive. It's amazing. And, and so if, I, I really urge, if you're active duty or retired law enforcement, go to OfficerPrivacy.com. Check this out, it's not an expensive proposition. And they monitor and, and help remove the um, information that's on there that can, that can literally you know, lead, to, uh, lead to you being um, uh, uh, identified and, and could lead to harm to you or your family. So check out officerprivacy.com. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing company and they're doing great work. So check that out, officerprivacy.com.
2: spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America Out Loud. We are the voice of a nation, the American nation that is. This is Malcolm Out Loud. I invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com where the fight for liberty and justice continues. America Out Loud Talk Radio. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Co-fix RX. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to the Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep, with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormones support delivered in a patent pending pill free ultra absorption microgel formula that tastes great fall asleep stay asleep sleep deeply and wake up refreshed with healthy cells rem sleep go to healthycell.com and use code outloud for 20% off your first order that's healthycell.com h e a l t h y c e l l and use code outloud for 20%
0: off um Great. let's get into it. Do you want to talk any more about your organization or should we segue into uh, the news portion of this program?
1: Well, I, I think what we've talked about lays a great foundation for the news of the day. And uh, I know you're going to touch on some of the soft crime policies, the DAs that have refused to prosecute criminals uh, that commit violent acts. Um, you know, in New York City, of course, we, we have a DA there, uh, newly elected that Basically told his prosecutors, uh, d- don't even consider uh, life without parole for murders. That, that's off the table. Uh, that's too severe a punishment for a cold-blooded murder. So these are the kind of people we're dealing with, and citizens behind the badge is all about trying to make sure that those kind of people never get elected ever again.
0: Yeah, that's just, that's really critically important. Um, I'm really I'm happy that you created this organization, Craig, and I know that we're going to work together in a lot of different ways to, uh, to assist each other's organizations, um, uh, you know, tell the truth about law enforcement, which is really that's our goal. Um, but let, yeah, let's talk about about these district attorneys. So we're actually filming this show on the same day that there is the recall election effort in San Francisco. As we speak, the voters of San Francisco are deciding if they're going to recall Chesa Bowden, who is their exceedingly radical district attorney. A little bit of history about Chesa Bowden, if you don't know, is his parents were both convicted terrorists, cop killers, um, who served uh, decades behind bars for the brutal murders that they committed as uh, as literally uh, domestic terrorists. Um, and chester Bowden grew up with the, the mentors of terrorism and socialism as his, basically his, uh, uh, I mean, that, that was what he cut his teeth on. And somehow, Craig, I, it, it is mind-boggling to me that that allegedly intelligent voters in San Francisco would put this guy into office in the first place, and he wasn't... He, he didn't make any bones about it. He said what he was going to do, that he was going to basically uh, not prosecute anybody for anything. But I guess maybe what has happened is the real world implications of a radical district attorney have now revealed themselves in a myriad of ways in San Francisco. And now that has led to probably one of the, the most robust recall efforts I've ever seen. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I I couldn't agree with you more. And I I am appalled that uh, San Francisco voters would have elected him in the first place. But I think, again, this was part of the the George Floyd anti-cop. We hate all cops. All cops are bad. Uh, And There's too many people in our prisons and jails. So let's go the entire other way of the spectrum and let prisoners out of jails. Let's not prosecute criminals who are committing violent acts. Um, And and this person, as you say, Chesat, was raised by self-styled revolutionaries. They uh, claimed to hate the United States government. They were out to uh, be revolutionaries. In 1981, they committed the famous Brinks robbery, where a security uh, guard for Brinks and two law enforcement professionals were gunned down in cold blood. Um, And uh, he was raised by these people. He was one year old. Uh, when that Brinks robbery occurred. And and he was raised by other members of the Weather Underground um, who were also self-styled revolutionaries because his um, natural parents were now gonna be in prison for many, many years to come. So they handed him off to these other self-styled revolutionaries. It's just mind boggling, Randy, to think that, you know, if the voters in San Francisco knew that his background, knew what his true intentions were when he got in office that he would have ever been elected, I've heard people say about the the New York City DA, uh, when he was elected uh, a year or two ago, um, and and he basically came into office and said, you know, we're not gonna be prosecuting a lot of the criminals out there. We're not gonna be giving them stiff sentences. The jails and prisons are overcrowded. We shouldn't have so many people there. Um, And I heard many voters who voted for that guy say, if I had known the types of policies he was gonna put in place to support criminals and be against law enforcement, I would never have voted for him in the first place. And I think that's where we are now. Uh, In San Francisco, they're doing a recall election because that's what they do in California if they want you out of office and they're not happy with you. There's a good chance he he will be recalled and he will be out of office uh, after today. So time will tell, but I hope the voters in San Francisco have wised up. They realize crime is rampant and uh, they need uh, tougher prosecutors in place to make sure these criminals who deserve to be behind bars are kept there.
0: I'm watching this with bated breath, I really am, because uh, if he is recalled, this will be a major win for uh, people who are really concerned uh, now about, about the uh, uh, tsunami of crime surging across America. If, however, he is not recalled, um, I, I will view this as a major defeat for the, uh, um, for the cause. So this is we got a lot riding on this. I think um, I think it it will it will be a major demonstration of um, of what the future will bring, especially because there is a similar recall effort right now in Los Angeles with George Gascon. You know, George Gascon is an anomaly to me. This guy was actually an LAPD police commander. He was of, of, of high rank. Uh, got his law degree, wound up being the district attorney in San Francisco, <laughs> which I guess is maybe the, the fertile ground for uh, radical liberalism. But um, he was there before he got elected in, in, in Los Angeles. Now, of course, the, the, the um, similarities in, in both Los Angeles and San Francisco is out of control, violent crime. Um, not just violent crime, all crime across the board, um, and Gascone. I think if he's not, he may even be more radical than Chesa Bowden. Um, but what's interesting in Gascone's case, well, in in Bowden's case, more than forty percent of the district attorneys uh, that were um, that were working in the district attorney's office uh, left quit because of because of Bowden. But it's interesting because in Los Angeles, there is a strong um, district attorney, assistant district attorney's union. And so they had uh, an entirely different approach to dealing with Gascone, and that's absolute mutiny. Um, They have issued no confidence votes. They have gone public with uh, recrimination towards him. And now that there is a recall effort that is very close to having the uh, the number of signatures um, to move this on the ballot. We're now seeing Gascone trying to do the the do do the the politician shuffle and and kind of you know try and camouflage himself a little bit. But in in this there's a recent incident that that came uh, to light, and I want to talk about this for just a moment. Um, there was a. This is, happened. Um, uh, I think about a year ago. A 17-year-old wrong-way driver, intentionally, by all appearances, including video, ran over a mother and her infant baby. And uh, um, Gascoigne, in his in his milk toast prosecution, um, somehow. Somehow um, uh, negotiated a, a, a plea deal to this guy, so five to seven months in a juvenile probation camp. So he's not he's not going to serve any prison time. Then there's then the, his his record will be expunged, and the way he charged this guy, um, where he should have uh, done attempted murder, he he made sure that he did the. Lowest levels of crime that he could. Well, when this became, um, when this became a news item, uh, he's now trying to deflect. Uh, he, he actually completely lied to the to the media and said that that the plea deal was negotiated with the approval of the LA Sheriff's Department. And when Sheriff Villanueva came up and said it's a it's a lie, it never happened. Suddenly he had to walk that back. So now we're seeing, we're seeing um, another recall effort uh, of another radical district attorney. And, and, you know, these are two, these are two major focus points that all of American law enforcement um, is watching. And, uh, you know, but, but let's, let's look at this in relation to how did these guys get into office? You know what what's the what's the one name that pops up every single time we're talking about a radical agenda and elections? George Soros. George Soros. It's every, every time every time we delve down into who financed this. Where did the money come from to put forth an election and 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 sink millions and millions of dollars into the leftist agenda of and the strategy of putting radical district attorneys in place. And George Soros name uh, just uh, balloons out everywhere. But let me ask you this, Craig, we've we now know that there's somewhere around 70 radical district attorneys been placed into office. What do you think the the strategy is um, behind this?
1: Well, I think they've clearly taken advantage of an incident that got a lot of attention. That's George Floyd's death, of course. Uh, and then the media has, has decided to uh, pile on top of that case all these other anecdotal cases that seem to tie into the narrative of cops as brutal racists, uh, targeting blacks, uh, too many blacks being arrested, too many blacks being shot by police, etc. Um, and again, the facts don't support that narrative at all. But if you wanna be anecdotal in the way you present your evidence, uh, yeah, there are some cases that might be able to to be thrown into the George Floyd mix and, and end up with all these soft on crime district attorneys around this country. Um, but it, it's embarrassing to me to think that uh, the electorate in these cities would elect people that uh, had no business being in those offices, that their intent was not to protect their community their intent was not to promote public safety, but it was somehow to be the advocates for the criminals in our nation. Um, and, and this is very unfortunate. We have to realize that uh, crime in this country peaked in 1991. Violent crime was at its highest point. Um, and then a lot of good law enforcement uh, occurred uh, in the uh, subsequent months and years that allowed crime to go down to historically low levels. All right. Part of that was the broken windows philosophy uh, uh, initiated by Bill Bratton, among others, who said, you know, let's go after low level criminals because that's going to affect uh, major crimes. All right. We're going to be able to lower major crimes by arresting the, the lower level criminals. And it worked. Um, and we got tougher on crime. Uh, California e- enacted the three strikes in your outlaw. So, I mean, here we've gone one pendulum uh, swing to the other in California, where they were one of the toughest states in the country on criminals at one point with the three strikes and your outlaw. And now they've gone to where uh, they want to let out all the the criminals from the jails and the prisons in California. Uh, So this is frightening to think that this could happen in our nation. And again, I, in many ways, blame the complicit media that simply has a narrative that they want to put forth. And they've allowed these politicians to get elected uh, based on lies uh, and anecdotal evidence, uh, totally unsubstantiated by the facts and figures that will tell you how effective law enforcement had been uh, up until George Floyd's death and could have continued to be effective um, uh, afterwards, but they weren't allowed to because of the defund the police movement.
0: Well, you know, I um, w- when I look at the historical record now of of where, when did we start, uh seeing the um uh, the anti-law enforcement movement when, where did we see the beginning of it and when i when i look back in history uh i of course uh you know I- examine from a from a historical perspective i keep on going back to the election of barack obama um, barack obama came in as a, um, a, a hope a hope for america a hope to to heal, um, you know, the first black president. We, I mean, I was a supporter. I, I thought that he would. I thought that he would be an individual, catalyst for bringing our nation together. It turned out that that was quite the opposite effect. But when, when the president of the United States, uh, shortly after his election, came out publicly calling the police, saying the police acted stupidly when it came down to arresting one of his own goofy friends who literally created his own arrest because of his uncooperation during a legitimate police investigation. I got this sinking feeling and it was borne out over his entire, over his entire um, uh, service as president. Uh, he divided the police from the people. He's the one who created uh, an anti-law enforcement department of justice. that that basically victimized law enforcement uh, around the country. He supported the, uh, and of course, the prior to to George Floyd, we had the Michael Brown case, which is really where we saw um, uh, violence uh, to tear our cities apart, all based once again on another false narrative, the greatest lie probably ever perpetuated on an anti-law enforcement platform hands up don't shoot um we saw this tear america apart and then we saw the president of the united states actually um uh support the narrative of the police once again you know targeting uh, and acting brutally so you know this has been a long time in coming Um, You know, it didn't start with George Floyd, but it certainly became, you know, it was the fuel was just poured onto the fire. But but so now let's look at the let's look at the real world effects of what this anti-law enforcement defund the police movement. Let's see. by this is a this is a headline that just came out. And I think it'll 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 point out to our viewers and our listeners um the, the real world consequences um it was there was a Seattle Police Department uh an internal memo was leaked and happily it was leaked whereupon the um the the supervisors of the uh of the Seattle Police Department basically came out they didn't they did they came out and said we're so understaffed That we're not going to even investigate adult sexual assault cases i read it this is i'm going to say i read this internal memo maybe a month and a half ago but it didn't really catch steam until it just came out again uh, with this headline seattle pd sex assault units low staffing case backlog is unacceptable the mayor says Mayor Bruce Harrell denied a report that the city isn't prioritizing sexual assault cases, but admitting staffing is "quote not where it needs to be." Unquote. This is a this is a bald-faced lie by the mayor. Um, now, in all fairness, this mayor was not the mayor when Seattle lost its collective mind uh, when uh, uh, the, the the city actually you know, gave up a police precinct where they gave up blocks of the city to the chop zone, whatever the God knows, whatever that stood for, where the police were not even allowed to go in by these self-styled radicals. Um, He wasn't the mayor then, but he was certainly he is now. And now he's trying to make excuses when the reality is quite clear. They're not even investigating sexual assault cases. Now, you and I both know, Craig, that that is a startling consequence. But isn't this what we're seeing around the country—the um, uh, lowering of of law enforcement capabilities due to the this whole entire movement that we've been seeing?
1: Well, without question, the defund the police movement caused uh, politicians to react in cities across this country in a very knee-jerk, a very irresponsible manner without thinking about the consequences of their actions. Seattle could be the poster child for the defund the police movement and the troubling consequences that have resulted. They've lost hundreds of officers since uh, 2020. Um, They are now at the lowest staffing levels they've seen since the 1980s. All right. And and the comment from the mayor are, are similar to comments we've heard from other mayors around this country, including in Minneapolis, where all this started. Uh, where they, they chopped so much money out of their police budget in a knee-jerk fashion, $7.7 million initially. Uh, now Minneapolis is being sued by their own um, citizens because of the understaffing levels. Apparently there's a charter that says they have to have a certain number of officers to protect the, the citizens of Minneapolis. And they're so far below that level that the citizens have no choice, but they've sued them in court. Um, Let's think about where we are with police staffing around this country. Thanks to the defund the police movement and all the anti-cop hatred. One officer recently said, you know, we're one uh, bullet uh, from the grave and we're one mistake from an indictment. Why would I want to continue to be a police officer? So that officer in Atlanta retired. All right. We're seeing that across this country. Uh, We've seen a 43 percent increase in uh, officer resignation since 2019 pre-George Floyd. Uh, We've seen a 24% increase in retirements. A lot of those officers leaving the job much sooner than they would have otherwise. Um, And as a result, we have the lowest per capita police staffing in this country than we've seen in the last 25 years. So what's happening? Crime is surging. We don't have proactive policing anymore. Uh, More than 70% of officers recently surveyed said, uh, they're, they're less likely to stop a suspicious person or vehicle uh, because of all this uh, anti-cop, uh, I'm gonna sue you, I'm gonna throw you in jail if you make a mistake. Um, and so as a result, proactive policing, which is the single factor that has been proven to reduce crime in this country, reduce violent crime, uh, is no longer being employed by a, a vast majority of officers in this country. That's extremely alarming and troubling, and we're seeing the consequences of that. And it's not the fault of the officers it's the fault of the politicians who aren't supporting them it's the fault of the media who are, are crucifying them each and every day anytime they get a chance um, and and it's the fault of the public frankly for staying silent and for electing
0: these soft on crime uh, uh, politicians you've hit it all on the head i i it's you know your your base of knowledge and the fact that you know you you know the statistics um, is, is uh, something that's very refreshing. Uh, this is amazing information that you've been able to impart to, uh, to my listeners and, and our viewers. Um, we're kind of uh, running up against the clock here. So once again, um, please tell the audience how they can find you, get more information about Citizens Behind the Badge.
1: Yeah, please go to our website, uh, that's behindbadge.org. Uh, There's a pack full of information, uh, so much of what we've talked about here today, but so much more, I update it every day, all right? So I'm I'm giving you the latest news about law enforcement, similar to what you're doing here, Randy, uh, each episode. Um, And and go there and leave your your name and email address there on that homepage, uh, opportunity. uh, And we will stay in touch with you. We will keep you informed of what's going on in this country regarding law enforcement, regarding law and order, um, and the troubling consequences of defund the police. Uh, and we will give you uh, action steps that can be taken to help keep your community safe and make sure the officers receive the support and resources needed to keep America safe.
0: Well, Craig, thanks so much for joining me here on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. Um, we'll definitely uh, be, be speaking very soon. In fact, but why don't you stay in the interview room and, and you and I will chat afterwards but thanks again Craig Floyd uh the uh, founder of citizens behind the badge so um at the end of our our show uh we we do something called end of watch um it's um it's the way that we mourn the men and women of the law enforcement profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty um the previous week so I've got a couple names to read um once again t- terribly sad uh, the first is officer Adrian Lopez senior of the White Mountain Apache tribal police department officer Adrian Lopez was shot and killed during a traffic stop on East Fork Road in White River Arizona at about 7:10 p.m an altercation occurred between officer Lopez and the driver during which time officer Lopez was fatally shot. The subject then stole officer Lopez's patrol vehicle and fled the scene with other white mountain Apache police in pursuit. The pursuit traveled almost 40 miles before officers and the subject exchanged shots near Holly Lake during which another officer was wounded and the subject was killed. Officer Lopez was a US Army veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. He has served with the White Mountain Apache Tribal Police for five months, previously served 10 months with the United States Department of the Interior Bureau of Indian Affairs of Justice Services in Wind River, Wyoming. He is survived by his wife and two children. Officer Adrian Lopez, Sr. White Mountain Apache Tribal Police and of Watch Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. The second is Deputy Sheriff Thomas E. Baker, III, Nicholas County Sheriff's Department, West Virginia. Deputy Sheriff Tom Baker was shot and killed after he and another deputy responded to a domestic disturbance in the Birch River area of the county. He and his partner were talking to two men who had come out of a trailer. Both men ran back into the trailer as the deputies pursued them and attempted to apprehend them by deploying a taser. Once inside the trailer, the men opened fire on the deputies. Deputy Baker was struck in the back and his partner was wounded in the leg as they sought cover outside of the trailer. Despite their wounds, they were able to return fire and one of the men was killed. Second man was apprehended following a barricade and charged with first degree murder. Deputy Baker served in law enforcement for a total of 19 years. Prior to joining the Nicholas County Sheriff's Department, he served with the Cowan Police Department, Summersville Police, Raleigh County Sheriffs and the Federal Bureau of Prisons. He is survived by his wife and two children. Deputy Sheriff Thomas E. Baker III, Nicholas County Sheriff's Department, West Virginia, end of watch Friday, June 3rd, 2022. Each of these men gave their lives in the line of duty, serving their communities. May they rest in peace. Well, I want to thank you for joining uh, me today again here at uh, the Voice for American Law Enforcement. Uh, You can see this on uh, AmericaOutloud.com, on YouTube. You can listen to it on iHeartRadio, and we're all over the place. I love to hear from you guys. Um, You can find me on Facebook at The Voice for American Law Enforcement. You can uh, contact me if you have suggestions, if you have comments, and most specifically, if you want to support law enforcement, as I'm sure you do, there is a very practical way to do that, and that is by supporting the Wounded Blue. Go to thewoundedblue.org. The Wounded Blue is the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers, a nationwide charity that helps cops who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, uh, suffering injuries, either physical or emotional and psychological. We've helped more than 10,000 officers in the last three years. Um, I'm very proud of the men and women that I serve with in this organization they are doing amazing work they are literally saving lives but we can't do it without you um we are a nationwide charity your your tax deductible donation is welcomed uh easy to give go to the woundedblue.org hit the donate button and give whatever you can afford uh five dollars ten bucks if you can do a monthly donation we really do appreciate that if you want to sponsor the wounded blue or any of the events we actually have the National Law Enforcement Officers Survival Summit coming up October 11th through the 14th. If you're a, a police officer, uh, this is a must-attend event. This, The information in the Law Enforcement Survival Summit might save your life, might save your career, might save your marriage. Uh, every aspect about surviving a law enforcement career will be... Uh, at the National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. It's our second annual. It will be held in Terre Haute, Indiana, October 11th through the 14th. You can register for this. It's only $295 for four days of the best training you'll ever get. Go to thewoundedblue.org for information and to register. I'm Randy Sutton, your host. Thank you so much for joining me again today at The Voice for American Law Enforcement.